Hey everyone, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up. So my guest this week is Vishen Lakiani. Now, Vishen is the founder of Mind Valley, which is the biggest platform on mindset and personal development out there today with a mission of reaching 1 billion, I said 1 billion students so humanity can experience the biggest jump in its consciousness since the dawn of the human species. Now, I've had some people on this show in the past with big visions, but you know what? That one is right up there. Currently, Mind Valley has 2 million students worldwide. Now, this speaker and activist and author of The Code of the Extraordinary Mind and The Buddha and the Badass, both amazing books, she, he shocks me early in our conversation by saying that he dislikes talking about meditation. Now, the astute of you will see that the episode is all about meditation. Or is it? You see, Vishen continues to explain what he means by this dislike and still manages to share his thoughts on meditation with such amazing detail, clarity, and perspective. And you're certainly going to get a heap of understanding about the different ways we can think about meditation by the end of the conversation. So there's so much misconception about exercise and meditation is one of those things as well. So today you are in for a real treat. Vision breaks down the different kinds of meditation, the many and varied benefits of meditation. He also busts some myths and some misconceptions about what meditation is supposed to be serving in our lives in terms of us and the greater world. And with that, he shares his six-phase meditation method based on the concept of combining bliss and drive. Now, I have used the six-phase meditation previously, and I have to say it is one of the simplest forms of meditation or mindfulness practice out there. So do stick around to the very end, and you'll be rewarded with some tips, some hacks, some habits to help you lead your life, lead you to your best life which I'm sure you'll find helpful wherever you are today and whether you are an entrepreneur or not. I sincerely believe that what we've built as a platform is the is essential to entrepreneurs uh, because we have simply put the best programs in the world in everything from memory to optimizing your body to muscle gain to weight loss to getting clear on your goals. So without further ado, I give you Mr. Vishen Lakhiani. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Hey everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another week and another episode of Scale Up. I've had some some big thinkers on this show, people who are making massive change in the world. But today's guest is someone who takes that thought and that idea to another level. I'm pleased to have on the show today, Mr. Vishen Lakiani. Welcome, sir. Hi, Nick. Good to be here. I have been following you for a long time. I'm sure you hear that on a lot of interviews that you come on, but it is very much true, particularly your journey into meditation and and the different things that you have been creating in the world. And one of the things that really strikes strikes me is how big you think about your mission, right? So I want to get into that today and talk about you know the different things that you're doing. But before we do that, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give us a bit of your your story, yeah. please? I'm a, I'm a former Silicon Valley exec who went through a period of burnout and chaos and life crashing down upon me. <laughs> and as a solution to that, as a remedy to that, I way back in 2003, I uh, took up meditation. And what I found is that it gave me superpowers at work. Uh, so I'm not talking about meditation here necessarily just for blissful states or emotional mastery, all of that. Yes, you get that. Like, go do it for that. 
But what I was puzzled by and what impressed me was how this meditation caused me to get promotion after promotion after promotion. I was 26 years old. I got so good that the company gave me two positions, which I held concurrently. So I got double paid. I held two positions at the same time, VP of business and VP of sales, because I was able to do so much more with my mind than what a normal human being could, could do. So this, this, this thing became my obsession, understanding the human mind. I went into deep study of everything to do with the mind and performance. And eventually I started a company called Mind Valley, which today is the world's biggest personal growth platform by far. So Mind Valley has um we we um it's a tech company, uh, but it's also a movement. And what I've done is I've mapped close to 300 different aspects of human development. Okay. So different ways we can grow as human beings. So leadership might be a way, but bone increasing bone density is another form of human development, improving cognitive functioning, improving focus, also improving um, love relationships, 297 different dimensions are what I currently map. And we identify the best approaches and tactics to get people there. And we work with 61 of the world's greatest teachers um, in, in every aspect of human development. Some of them are spiritual leaders like Sadhguru, some are business leaders like Keith Ferrazzi, or mind optimization experts like Nir Eyal, uh, who wrote the book Indistractable, which is on which is one of the best books on focus. We've had Nir so on I'm, the show before, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, so Nir, I, I knew your audience probably is familiar with him. And so I work to create to fill in the gaps that modern education forgot. Modern education teaches you a lot of bullshit, honestly, a lot of stuff that we don't really need. When is the last time you had to ap apply trigonometry, right, <laughs> to your day-to-day -day living? But oh, you're you're in the right place because I talk about that consistently yeah, on here. My my education came from you know very much post anything that was formal, and I'll just right. say also snap on the whole um, kind of breakdown burnout. Uh, idea in, in business, yeah. but I'd, I'd love to understand a little bit about, about this, the distinctions around meditation, if we can start with that. Yeah, let's, let's begin with that. So firstly, meditation is a topic I utterly dislike talking about. Great. And the reason I dislike talking about it is because as soon as you say, let's talk about meditation, um, you probably don't understand the nuances of meditation. That's like saying, hey, let's talk about exercise. And I, and I mean this respectfully. Yeah. If somebody says, I exercise, that is a nonsense statement because exactly what type of exercise are you doing? Are you jogging? Are you doing Zumba? Are you practicing yoga or high-intensity interval training or weight training or Tabata? All of these have different levels of efficiency and they also do different things. If you're looking at improving endurance and you do aerobics, you're wasting your time. You should be doing Tabata. If you're looking at energizing your body and you're jogging, you're actually not just wasting your time, you're causing long-term damage to your body. Jogging is negative exercise. What you want to do is high-intensity interval training. So there's so much misconception about exercise and meditation is one of those things as well. So here are the misconceptions about meditation. The first thing is this. It is long, it's boring, and you have to clear your mind. No, that is a specific type of meditation that sadly Westerners are obsessed with because it's it's one of the more original styles that came from the East. And anything mystical or 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 exotic captivates us. But in my opinion, the best forms of meditation are active meditation approaches as opposed to hermetic approaches. Active meditation approaches are where you actually use your mind 
to create, to tackle problems, to heal your body, to fill you with energy. They are not about stepping back from the world. They are about stepping into the world and using the force of your mindset to actually shape the world, build companies, write books, go into states of flow and creativity while ensuring that your health and your well-being are at the highest levels they can be. Is, that, is great... that your definition of meditation then, what we've just covered? No, I haven't even started defining yet. What, what I will say is that because meditation is such a cloudy term, what I talk about is a concept called transcendent practices. And a transcendent practice is any practice where you go, you go beyond the physical world and you go within. And as you go within, you apply science and spiritual tools to optimize yourself. Sometimes in, in my book, these are called psycho-spiritual transcendent practices. Okay. But that word is just too long. To it is a long word, right? And so then, my, you know, so my but, book but, is simply called the six phase meditation. Method. There are a lot of recovering um, people who have tried meditation listening to this podcast, right. <laughs> including me, right? So I've done the whole TM thing mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff. I'm curious, though, about what you said and at the beginning. Let me ask, can, can, can I ask you a question? Yeah, so you said you, you tried meditation. You said you tried the whole TM thing. Why did you stop? It felt too difficult to continue. Exactly. Most people do that. Most people will agree with you. Most people who start meditation stop. It is long, boring, difficult. And and to be frank, most meditation protocols are wasting your time. Okay. Similar to what you said with exercise. Different exactly. things. Exactly. Exactly. Like today we know, um, we know that aerobics is a freaking waste of time. It's an absolute waste of time. Jogging is a waste of time. And I, I can break that down and I can tell yeah. you why exactly. But it's the same with meditation. With fMRI scans, we can see what's going on in a person's brain. And here are a couple of things we know. You want to be blissed out. You want to be happy. You don't need to meditate for an hour. You practice a gratitude protocol. Gratitude has the highest correlation with well-being. It also, for some interesting reasons, causes your body to have greater stress tolerance. It increases longevity. It increases positive associations with the people around you. And it only takes two to three minutes. In two to three minutes a day of gratitude, studies show you increase your happiness levels by 25%. In okay. two to three minutes a day, right? That's what I care about. I care about what are the hyper-optimized practices that you do in two minutes that give you an outsized result. So my book, The Six-Phase Meditation Method, is really looks at six of these practices that we stack on top of one another. And uh, with the time you spend getting into a rested state and then the time you spend coming out of that state, the total protocol is 15 minutes. But in 15 minutes, your performance, your well-being, your emotional states improve to such a degree, it's as if you are blessed by magic. Now, it would be it would be amiss if I hadn't have tried that before you came on the show with your with your Mind Valley app, mm -hmm. which I have <laughs> to talk about it because I thought we right. might cover this. And I and I find it more refreshing and certainly more, um, let's call it easier to do the way that you describe it and the way you take us through it. Now, right. has, how has that evolved? Because you've had you've had the, um, the six phase meditation for a while. Has it evolved yes. now that you because you're writing about it more now and talking about it? I see a bit more. But it's well, been, I. I update it every two years. I update okay. it every two years based on uh, new discoveries, new protocols, new science. So, um, you know, the the six phase meditation, you you go through six phases, which on and we can talk about the six phases later. Yeah, let's but it's extremely, extremely, extremely science backed, and there's an exponential rise in science right now, uh, studying 
meditation, forgiveness, gratitude, and all of these other states of being. Yeah. No, I love I love the fact that we're covering this because as I said to you before we press record today, that there are a lot right. of high, high um, achieving people listening to this, you know, and some of them are private equity billionaires, sports people, the whole piece. But we all, right. and I can jump into this to some extent, for me, it's about efficiency and impact, right? Mm -hmm. I'm one of these hard wide dudes because I come from a background of being in that environment for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about trying to get the result as quickly as I can get the result maybe potentially overthinking that right. sometimes. But can we just jump back one thing? Because you said something very interesting when you were doing the intro. You said that you managed to get two jobs, two pretty full-on jobs. Exactly. And that exactly. was unlocked by what you mm -hmm. experienced. Can you just tell us more about that? Right. So so now to understand that, yeah. I, I want to speak to your audience. Your audience are high achievers. What I did, being able to hold down two jobs simultaneously through the practice of um through transcendent practices, I later took into my entrepreneurial career. And what I was able to accomplish there was write uh, three national bestsellers and also take my business to about a hundred million in revenue. Um, and I just want to add um, a report by HSBC and PricewaterhouseCoopers that's just declared that my company is going to be um, one of the next possible unicorn companies. Oh, congratulations. And yeah, and I'm doing that with the application of transcendent practices. But what makes it really unique is we're doing this, I, I've done this without with zero venture capital. And mm -hmm. that makes it a rarity in the business space. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because I want people to understand how hyper-optimized these practices are. I was in London recently and a gentleman came up to me and he had started uh, Bella and Duke, the dog food company. Yeah. And in four years, he took that to 100 million. And he told me the six-phase meditation was one of the key things he did every single day to help give him the mindset, the heart set, the focus, the drive to get his company to 100 million. Because if anyone... Anyone here who's an entrepreneur will tell you it's not always easy. So, so, so back to your question, what were the practices I was doing? Okay. So the practices look like that. And the sixth phase and the practices I did way back in 2003 are now evolved. Okay. I have more data. I have more experience. The sixth phase is six different practices that you put into yourself in the morning to optimize your mind, body, and soul. The first has to do with opening your heart and compassion. Now, I know that sounds fluffy and many business people think it sounds way too way too out there. But the fact is compassion and kindness um, is a human trait that you can train. And it actually has a huge correlation with work performance. Um, when you feel connected to the people around you, productivity in a room goes up, productivity in a team, in a company, uh, there was a study done by Gallup on 10 million employees. And what they found is that the employees who are creating, who have the highest engagement, highest um, uh, revenue per employee ratio, highest productivity, tend to answer yes to the following question. A supervisor or manager cares about me at work. And so compassion is literally activating that feeling of caring, giving a damn about the people around you. It makes you more connected to your family, to your employees, to your workers, to your clients. But as a side effect, compassion also actually also heals you. You became, you become, you have less anxiety, less stress. You sleep better. Um, you feel safer in the world, and there are huge improvements in bi your biology as well. Back pain disappears, insomnia goes away, all through the practice of uh, compassion. There, there are multiple books on this topic right now. That is the first phase, and we use a specific compassion protocol that in two minutes. 
activates compassion as a muscle within you. Because you brought that up, why do you think that people repress it? Or certainly in the business world, it's seen as being fluffy. It's not really seen as it's only at this point, it's only seen as being fluffy um, by entrepreneurs who have outdated models of business. Okay. Let me share another study, okay, which fascinates me. So I was interviewing Sean Aker, um, the guy who wrote the book Happiness Advantage. Um, he's a Harvard psychologist, and he did a study with a company in Omaha. They were doing $650 million in revenue. And what he had them do, and um, the CEO thought this was fluff. He's like, there's no way this is going to work, but I'll try it anyway. He inst He instituted this protocol in the company where when you showed up at work, you would take out your iPhone, set a timer for two minutes. And in that two minutes, you would write an email appreciating a fellow coworker. No, you you would give yourself only two minutes. Anything longer makes it too, too troublesome. Anything shorter makes it irrelevant. What they found is in 18 months, the company whose revenue had stagnated, revenues went up from 650 to 950. Number of job applications went up 270%. That means 270% more people were applying to join the company. Google flew down to see what the hell they were doing with their culture, all from a two-minute appreciation a gesture every morning. Now, that is compassion at its best, right? And that's why this is not, I believe the CEO of the company's name was Bob Barker. Um, Sean Aker in the interview told me he thought this was fluff, but he couldn't believe the results. Yeah. I'm not surprised by, as I said, my journey from the last few years, I left one of the biggest private equity firms in the world, right? The last exit I was mm -hmm. involved in was 2.3 billion bucks. And I've gone through a whole personal journey of this, including reading enough, a, a lot of books on it too. And right. I believe this to be true. I'm, I'm curious as to why, you know, why we have these outdated systems. I'm sure as we go through the rest of the six phase, we can go through this as well. Absolutely. Because part of the journey here is to be able to educate people listening to right. this podcast and wider. So let, let's cover that as we go through. So so if you want to, do you want me to answer that question? Why do we have yeah, this? I'd, like, I'd like to understand sure. where it comes from. Let me from. explain. Yeah. So the entire corporate structure um, that is predominant in the world today came from the United States in the 1950s. And that corporate structure inherited a lot of its beliefs, a lot of its basis from military structure. And again, uh, the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the United States was the country that um, had the strongest military at the end of World War II, right? Um, and so military, militaristic culture is very top-down. It's very hierarchical. It's very masculine and very male-dominated. It's about following orders and precision, and it's less about lovey-dovey. When you are in a war, lovey-dovey may not serve you. But we are not in a war when we are in a in a corporate environment. And it's taken about 50 to 60 years for different types of behavioral models to enter corporate America. Starting in the 80s and the 90s, um, um, you know, top top experts in corp in 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 business consulting were making claims such as culture eats strategy for breakfast because they were finding out that culture truly mattered. And then when Silicon Valley burst forth, a new type, a new model of running companies was instituted by the guys, by the founders of companies like Google. You still had concepts and uh, uh, along the lines of targets to hit and so on. In Google, um, these these models came from John, John Dower of Intel, mm -hmm. the yeah. OKR model popularized by Google. But then what companies like Google did is that they also really brought in elements that focused on 
happiness, on positivity, on appreciation, on um, people giving, on, on, on autonomy. Uh, Google famously instituted the 20% time. They famously created um, corporate headquarters that look like campuses. They they quit all of these like fun little quirky things. They got rid of corporate dress codes and they became one of the most valuable companies on the planet. Um, these ideas trickle down into Facebook, Apple, Tesla, all of these other Silicon Valley companies. And a new corporate culture started evolving in the 2000s. But there is evidence for this. Okay, so back to the evidence. Shajat Shamin wrote a book called Positivity Quotient, PQ. And what he argues in that book, what he shows is that if you look at a meta-analysis of all um, uh, a meta-analysis of happiness studies, happiness is one of those things that cause the biggest boost in productivity. In fact, Shamin in his book PQ states that the number one factor of a high-performing team is your positivity quotient. So the question is, what is positivity quotient? Well, it's the ratio of your positive thoughts to your overall thoughts. So what he's actually saying is when people feel good, when people feel good about their work, when people feel appreciated, when people feel recognized, when you when you are connected to the people around you, your performance goes through the roof. Other studies back this up. Gallup did a study called the Best Friends at Work study. They found that people who answer yes to the following question, I have a best friend at work, are seven times more engaged at their jobs. And so what we are finding is that human beings are machines running on emotion and the best damn fuel the highest octane fuel for us is happiness and so when we understand that that top-down militaristic culture may have been good at precision in some ways but it also caused burnout it caused stress it caused you know it it, it, it had a lot of side effects if you can still have precision through the true things like okrs but bring in elements that create feeling good type vibes in a company, as hokey as that sounds, that is the recipe to a high performing culture. You might find this interesting actually, Vision. So 40% of a business's valuation now is based on financial structures, where it used to be right. about 80%. So you know, you were mm -hmm. talking about outdated systems. Right. The old accountancy systems used to do sort of EBITDA multiples and all those sort of things, revenue multiples. Well, what's yeah. happening now is that 60% of the valuation is coming off other factors. And one of those factors is what we call social capital, which mm -hmm. is an assessment of the culture of a business because you can't transfer the value of a company to someone else unless you identify all the things that are actually driving that value so right. you may not have heard that before but it backs up the point i think that you know those financial systems were 50 60 70 possibly even more years old that's all we had right but there's a change and a movement certainly up the chain in the capital markets around value which has been i think backed up by exactly what you just said Right, exactly, exactly. I'm so glad you you shared that the culture of a company is supremely important. When the culture yeah. goes down, when the culture suffers, you see a huge drop in the performance of the company. Look at what's happening with Facebook right now. Facebook fucked up its culture. Yeah. And you've seen it with these big, you know, again, you've come from Silicon Valley, you're starting to see the valuations of in the right. venture capital space changing because of it. But the way I look at it is, and you've brought up a number of different ways of assessing and data and analysis in the conversation already. We can assess these things now. We can assess the culture of a business. You know, there, there are ways and diagnostics and tools to be able to do yeah. that that didn't exist. So I think it's an important message as we talk about this as, you know, lots of business owners and high level business owners listening to this conversation. Maybe you need to think a little bit differently about how you are 
uh, driving performance sustainably right. in your business. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. I like this. Okay. Let's keep going. So we've covered compassion. Let's keep going through the six phases. That'd be so, great. so at this point, the second phase is very obvious. It's bliss. Mm. Bliss is that is that catch-all phrase for happiness, uh, um, positivity. It's essentially raising your PQ. Okay. And the ultimate way to do that is um, through a gratitude practice. And so phase one, you do a compassion practice, which expands your compassion. Phase two, you do a gratitude practice, which elevates levels of bliss. Now, here's what's interesting. This gratitude practice um, seems so simple that people underestimate it. That studies show that it causes an elevation of happiness by a whopping 25% after 30 days. In fact, the after the in, in the study, they measured uh, the gratitude group against a control group. The gratitude group was 25% happier wow. in terms of various metrics of happiness. And all they were doing was roughly two minutes a day expressing gratitude for what was going good in their life. Funny thing about the study is nine months later, the gratitude group was still happier even if they had stopped the practice, they were still happy and short. There's a permanent uplift in happiness levels. Um, and so given well, what happiness- do, what, do you, what do you put that down to? Is that because it's like, it becomes more habitual and, and you, start of, you start to hardwire the old code? <laughs> exactly. It becomes, I, 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 I guess we could say neuroplasticity. It becomes yeah. more habitual. We are, we are training our brain to look at positive moments um, versus negative moments. Um, I mean, I've, I remember- being in a mastermind on Necker Island with Richard Branson. And, you know, no matter what you think of Branson, you got to respect his business acumen and what he's done as a brand builder. His Virgin Group employs about 50,000 people. And, and as we were talking to Branson, one of the things became very, very, very clear. Happiness is part of his modus operandi. Somebody asked him, dude, well, obviously they wouldn't call him dude. They'd say, Richard, you are so constantly celebrating, constantly having fun. And even in our mastermind group, like he he made so much effort to have the funnest dinner parties. Um, I was married back then when I was was with him. And I remember at one particular dinner party, he just got on the table, <laughs> got my wife, my then wife to get on the table with him and dance with her on the table. I mean, it's so random, right? To see a billionaire do that, but that's what makes him Branson. And so the, the very next day or so, someone in my group asked him, you're always happy, but surely there are sad moments. What do you do? during those sad moments. And his answer was really telling. He said, you know, I don't remember the sad moments. I only focus on the good things in my life. Wow. And I've noticed that over and over and over again with people who are doing well. Um, I've noticed that about myself, right? Like, obviously, even as I'm running the company, um, I came straight from my quarterly strategy meetings into this podcast. And um, there was good news, there was bad news, but... I got to train myself when there's bad news, when things go wrong, I got to train myself to take action, fix it, learn from yeah. it, push it aside and not dwell on it. And then dwell on the stuff that is good news. I got asked this question by someone very recently, actually. And um, they asked, you know, how do I, because the point he made was, you know, you always seem on it, right? Which is, you know, right. lovely to hear. But um, the point that he was asking underneath that was, you know, how do you deal with setbacks? You know, because you don't seem to show them. And I said, well, listen, right. one of the things I've just learned some tools, right? I've learned some tools that I didn't used to know. And one of the tools that I, I have is to take action. If I feel frustrated or I feel that things aren't where I would like them to be, I take action to try and change them, right? And right. and even that small amount of action changes my mindset to be more positive. 
And that's exactly. just one thing, one thing. But yeah, no, I, I think the reason I, the reason I bring that up here is also as people listening to this, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about are tools that can be learned, right? Right. You know, and, 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 you know, it doesn't mean that where you are right now doesn't mean that you can't learn those new things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All righty. Number three. So number three is forgiveness. Now, this one is weird. Um, in in Ugh. my book, we call it becoming <laughs> unfuckwithable. Okay, yeah. so so forgiveness studies. So first, let's talk about becoming unfuckwithable. I love that word uh, because <laughs> it is, it, it's an internet meme. And um, the most common definition is this. Yeah. Oh, God, it, that... it is when you're truly at peace and in touch with yourself and nothing anyone says, does, or thinks can bother you. That that's really what it is. Okay. So it's about equanimity, which yep. is being calm in the face of a storm, and also being so in tune with yourself that criticism, that even stuff that people did to you in the past that may have hurt you, you've let go of that. Letting go doesn't mean forgive. If somebody did something that was truly criminal, you do want to make sure that, you know, that 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 they are served justice but you release your anger your pain your trauma towards them and studies on forgiveness show some really fascinating things it increases your body's health and your biological performance after practicing forgiveness exercises according to one study participants were able to jump higher in an israeli study endurance went up it's it's crazy what forgiveness is doing Insomnia goes down, anxiety goes down, you sleep better, back pain disappears, heart health improves, all from the practice of forgiveness. And so the first three phases of the sixth phase are compassion, elevating your levels of compassion, elevating your happiness levels, and then becoming unfuckwithable by releasing, releasing the pain of past trauma. I'd love to ask you a question that I asked Naveen Jain when he came on the show, if you know Naveen. I asked him... um, do you think or do you believe that if you hold on to situations that have caused you pain in the past, in other words, they, they almost stay mm-hmm. with you physically, okay, and this is an opinion right. <laughs> right, as opposed to a, a medical yeah. thing, do you think they can cause longer-term damage in terms of sickness, Absolutely. cancer, and things? Absolutely. Absolutely. So firstly, Naveen is is one of the teachers on Mind Valley. He teaches a program on the power of boldness. So there is a book called The Body Keeps Score. Okay. okay. It was the number two book last month on Amazon. It's by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. The book oh, I'm going to read that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds perfect. It's amazing, right? And this book, it's got amazing reviews and it is blowing up 56,000 reviews on Amazon. Um, it is number six. Actually, it's the number six book in the world right now on Amazon. Wow. The Body Keeps Five. Score. Right. Now, why do you think this book is blowing up? It's because what, what this man is talking about is how trauma stays in our body. Mm-hmm. Any any type of pain that we had in the past, it it stays with us. The body keeps score. And when you can release this pain, not only are there incredible healings that happen, but also performance goes up. Okay. That feels right to me, certainly from experiences I've had in the past. And actually, I left my family back in Australia many, many years ago for various reasons. And and they still live in, in an interesting place, not not you know, geographically. Right. And, um, and there's a lot of, it, it almost kind of compounds negativity when you live in negativity, right? Like mm-hmm. bad things continuously happen to them, right? And it's almost like it's manifested. Exactly. 
which is interesting to me, like, you know, hence the reason I changed that environment. Whereas, you know, if you focus more on, on positive things or the good in things, or you see the good in people, all of that sort of stuff, it changes your approach and your outlook. But there's science exactly. behind this, I take it, Vision. There is science now backing this, this feeling up or this experience up. There's a lot of science backing this up right now. And, and this is why if you, if you look at one of the big things that's happening in the world of psychotherapy right now is um, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and psilocybin-assisted um, uh, psychotherapy is blowing up. Mm -hmm. um, San Francisco just uh, decriminalized um, uh, mushrooms, which which and, and the active ingredient there is is psilocybin. Because what they are finding is that these particular tools that put you in altered states, with the right guidance, with the right guidance, with the right training, with the right psychotherapist, can be used to remove this these scores that your body keeps from past trauma. But but what but again that that's plant medicine. We're not talking about that in phase three of the sixth phase. We're talking about a forgiveness protocol. And this forgiveness protocol comes from two different institutes, uh, the BioCybernaut Institute, as well as 40 Years of Zen. And what these institutes do is these are biohacking institutes that train you to develop the brainwave states of monks. So monks have a unique brainwave pattern. People who have spent 20, 40 years meditating, if you look at their brains, there's something very unique. They have very high alpha wave amplitude, and they have what is called a left-right brain coherence. So at these institutes, what they found is that of all the different practices you can do to give you the brainwave states of monks, forgiveness was the most effective. Wow. Forgiveness. Man, we could geek out on this for ages and go yeah. down the rabbit hole, but <laughs> let's, yeah, let's so, continue so, forward. But this so, is So forgiveness not wow. only helps you heal the trauma in within your body, it gives you the equanimity and the brainwave states of monks. But this is where things could get troublesome. If you simply do phase one, two, and three of the sixth phase, you're going to be really peaceful. You're going to be really comfortable. You're going to be really happy. But where does drive come from? Where does that desire to shake things up, to build a business, to grow come from? And that's where we go to phase four, five, and six. Okay. Phase one, two, and three are about the present. Phase four, five, and six are about building a powerful future. Do you have to build that foundation first in your experience to then yeah. be able to go next? Yeah. So if so, there's a certain dance that we got to do in life, right? If you want to be a successful entrepreneur, if you want to build anything great, you can't just possess drive. You must provide possess drive with bliss. When you put both of those together, that is the recipe for greatness. So we see this when we actually study entrepreneurs who did really well. Look at John D. Rockefeller. He was the richest man who ever lived. He started Standard Oil um, and changed the course of human history. He was phenomenally rich. John D. Rockefeller wrote in his 80s a poem that went like this. And if you listen to this poem, you will see this man had drive that the practice of bliss and happiness was essential to him. He said, I was early thought in life to work as well as play. My life has been one long happy holiday, full of work and full of play. And God was good to me every day. Boom. I've never heard right. that before. That's, ex that's exceptionally good. It's, it's it. in the book Titan, the biography of John D. Rockefeller. Wow. And so you see this with, with characters like Branson. You see it with Elon Musk. He's constantly having fun. You also see it with people like John D. Rockefeller. I've met many billionaires. I've interviewed many billionaires. And one of the things I've found is that the billionaires who are doing incredibly well are playing this delicate dance. They, 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 are, they, they are 
they, they are working. Bliss matters to them. Their comfort, yeah. their bliss matters to them. And at the same time, they have drive. And this brings us to phase four, five, and six. Phase four, five, and six are about changing the world. You must have both. Yeah. And I think, you know, just, just to reflect a little bit that the, the, the billionaires I've been around in private equity, and there have been a number of them mm-hmm. that have been too focused on drive, burnout have you know they look you look at them from the outside in and they and you see financial success or power or status but quite often there's inner turmoil relationships breaking up getting sick not you know all those sort of things so it's interesting so the point here the, the distinction i'll make here again is you know financial success you know i've seen i've seen people achieve that and attain that through being driven and being focused and being relentless and precise but if i reflect on it i haven't seen as much sustainability to use that word again of that certainly you know as i see people now that i've worked with a decade ago i've actually seen people go backwards quite dramatically because they've been Mm -hmm. go 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 so much exactly exactly and and you can see this in in one month cycles one year cycles decade cycles yeah you got to have a balance between output and then rejuvenation Right. So what, what I mean by a one day cycle is um, one of the things I found is so I, I have teams and I, I live in Europe, but I have teams in, 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 in Asia. I have teams in the US. Uh, my company is about 400 people. And so I got to start my day early during winter months, like start meetings at 8 a.m. And I know that I can go for five hours, 8 to 9, 10, 11, 12, 1 p.m., go for five hours, fueled on nothing but water and a single cup of coffee. But after the five hour mark, my focus and my productivity starts fading. And what I do is I then take an hour long break. I make myself a delicious breakfast. So what I'm doing is actually called intermittent fasting. I'm eating breakfast after one. And then I nap for 15 minutes. And and there are studies on this. And then I go back to work at around two and I'm hyperproductive. There are studies on this as well. Like NASA called it the power nap. NASA found that a 22-minute nap increases focus and productivity by 30%. So why is it just 15, 20 minutes? Is, that, is there a because science if you, behind? If you, yeah, so if you okay, go good. longer. Because I, I just had a nap before we press right. record. I'm going to be honest. So if you, I, I measure everything on my little ring here, right? But well, uh, yeah. So, the, so there's a couple of things, right? So here's what it does. Well, firstly, if you nap longer than 15 or 20 minutes, uh, it, it may interfere with your sleep. Okay. Okay. It may interfere with your sleep. Um, however, when you take a short nap, it actually improves your sleep. There is a book by Charlie Morley. I, I think it's called Wake Up to Sleep. I can't remember the I've name. Heard of that I have heard before, the, actually. Yeah, by, I've, yeah I've, Charlie Morley Sleep. Let me Google that and give you the title. Okay, yeah, and it's a wonderful do. book. And one of the things that Charlie Morley uh, talk. Oh, it's called Wake Up to Sleep. And one of the things that Charlie Morley mentions is that if you can give your your body a bit of rest in the afternoon or in the morning through a meditative practice or even through a nap, you're actually training your body in the nighttime during sleep to go into deep sleep. Okay. So now, and if you can get deep, deep sleep, seven to eight hours, okay? Um, There are many studies on sleep. Eight hours, 52 minutes uh, in one study is what um, is how much master sleep. Um, True, true experts. They, They were studying violinists, right? Violinists who were maestros and they sleep eight hours, 52 minutes. Uh, Whereas the average American sleeps six hours and 50 minutes, which is two hours short of these maestros. And so the reason I'm laughing, Vision, just to sort of say is that um, someone asked me again the other day, what's your number one morning routine thing, right? Because that's got a lot of um, 
uh, what do you call it? It's a, a publicity of over the uh -huh. years. And I say my number one is sleeping. Actually, my is actually going to bed the night before at a certain hour, so I don't have to wake up with an alarm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I, exactly. Game changer for me. You know, it out is. of anything else. So sorry, it I is. cut you off there, but it's just because wonderful. when you can get the right amount of sleep, your productivity is through the roof. So I'm not concerned with did I work a 10 hour day or a nine hour day or an eight hour day. I'm concerned with what, what I'm measuring is this. Can I work a six to seven hour day yeah. in absolute productivity and still have time to meditate, to use the gym, to go and spend time with the kids, to learn, to read a book or watch a program on Mind Valley. So wow. I no longer measure. And now my next goal, my next goal is to be able to run a company with 450 employees and 100 million plus in revenue going on to 200 million in revenue in no more than 21 hours a week. Okay, I like that. You have to, as an entrepreneur, set goals, not just for the size of your business, but how efficiently you get there. Yeah. And, and, and one of the themes we talked about here was about personal growth or personal leadership yeah. driving business success right and right. and that as a you know as one of the metrics if you like or one of the goals to be able to mm -hmm. kind of define that is incredible because like because because you know a lot of what we talked about today is how you as the entrepreneur work on yourself exactly to be productive to be happy to perform right so crucial yeah Let's go through the, the last three phases. Again, respectful of your time vision. So, okay. so number phase four. four. Phase four is a vision for your future. You okay. think about a goal three years out and you practice a concept called creative visualization to manifest that goal. Now you asked me earlier, what was I doing in 2003 that caused me to be able to hold down two jobs so effectively? Yep. Creative visualization was the number one thing I was doing. What were you visualizing? I was visualizing... Uh, hitting my targets in sales. I was visualizing bringing big deals into the company. I was okay. visualizing my career. I was visualizing the private office I wanted from the company for for being such a key performer. And, um, and I hit it all. So the concept of a goal is something that you're coming from, not working towards, which I heard recently. In um, other words, you're I there. Don't. Right. You're there. You're there. Yeah. Right. Okay, and, and there's more nuance to it. A lot of the protocols we use came from a mind science re researcher called Jose Silva, who was very active in the 60s, 70s, and 80s studying the impact of the human mind on performance. So um, I bring in a lot uh, of Silva techniques into phase four. Phase okay. five is where you command your perfect day. You declare how you want your day to unfold. And phase six is simply a blessing whatever higher power you believe in you. So I fist bump God. If you don't believe in God, that's fine. You can, you can talk to your own inner strength, talk to your brain, whatever you believe is supporting you and, and, and giving you the juice you need to make it all happen. You ask for a blessing. So phase four, five, and six are the action oriented parts of the sixth phase, which actually help you get out there and make things happen. This is why the sixth phase has been um, has been talked about by so many professional athletes around the world. How important, because you brought that piece up around what I will call faith, how important is faith in this practice? Is it crucial? I believe that we will do what we, we, we will do what we believe we can do. Like belief is everything, okay. right? We, right? We see this in sports, we see this in psychology, uh, we see this in the placebo effect. If you believe a medicine is going to heal you, you will get healed. And so faith and belief are extremely important. If you believe you're going to be successful, you're more likely to get successful. 
but developing the right belief, that gets tricky. And one of these scientific explanations for creative visualization is not that it's manifesting a new reality. I certainly believe that from a spiritual viewpoint, but one of the scientific understandings is that you are implementing new beliefs. Your mind cannot differentiate between an imagined experience and a real experience. If you imagine yourself on stage giving an incredible talk and getting a standing ovation, you start believing you can do that. And when you get on stage, that belief fuels you. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense as well. This this idea that what you what you achieve is created first in the mind, right? right? You, you know, you believe in it first, you take the directed action to then, you know, start exactly. to get better at it, improve whatever it is, and then you see the result. Interesting. Right. So what's um so you mentioned beforehand that you're writing a book on this. So as I said, I, I experienced the sixth phase through um, Mind Valley actually when I first um, started to explore um, one of your first books a while back. But are you now um, you've refined this obviously from the conversation we've had today? Exactly. Exactly. So let's just talk so about that. So yeah. So the sixth phase is now a book on its own. It's called the Six Phase Meditation Method, and uh, um, and it, it goes deep. and And the book comes with a trainer app that trains you on the protocol. And we've been getting incredible, incredible um, support from celebrities, from um, um, several movie stars, several uh, professional sports people, uh, even before the book came out, because um, the Six Face started making its rounds around Hollywood. And what happened is that we had Miguel, the R&B star, talk about his meditation practice before concerts on Billboard magazine. And you mentioned that him and his entire entourage do the six phase before he gets on stage. We had Bianca Andrescu who beat Serena Williams in the US Open in 2019. When they asked this 19 year old girl, how did you do it? She said, where's my phone? Where's my phone? And then she held up my first book, which made a mention of the six phase. Unknown to the journalist, Bianca had actually graduated from a seminar on the six phase in Toronto. Wow. And so when all of these stories started emerging, um, I decided to to turn it into a book because I now had the evidence that the protocol worked and I wanted to get into the hands of as many people as possible. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's awesome. And the thing I didn't share with you before we started is, I mean, out of the different practices that I have tried, the six phase mm -hmm. is the one that I have consistently done <laughs> more than anything Thank else. Thank you. That's, that's But I didn't want to tell you that at the beginning because, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have had a, such a rich conversation, yeah. right? <laughs> and Fantastic. It's, got, it's got a more colorful name, hasn't it, in the UK, the book? Yeah, in the UK, the book is called Zero Bullshit Meditation, which I prefer. Right, I'm Australian, and, and you know we don't, you know we we like it to be direct. <laughs> right, 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 exactly, exactly. Well, we'll see, we'll see which title sells better. It's an ex interesting experiment in marketing. My publishers came up with that. Yeah, I, I well, I can tell you from my experience in the UK and Australia and working around the world, it probably will work as well in the US, to be honest with you, because I think sometimes people kind of cloud right. the idea of meditation, like we we started the conversation with, like, it can just be a bit, uh, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's overused as a term, as opposed to the specificity around what it actually can be. So, right. well, listen, um, it's been awesome, Vision, to have you on the show um, and to, to cover this I, I think incredibly important topic, particularly for the people who listen to this show and the ones that are still in the alpha male <laughs> kind of mindset and programming. Um, is there anything else that you're working on at the moment that you're excited about that you'd like to share with us? Well, I think anyone in this show should also check out Mind Valley. I, I believe, I sincerely believe that what we've built as a platform is the is essential to entrepreneurs uh, because we have simply put the best programs in the world and everything from memory to optimizing your body to muscle gain to weight loss to getting clear on your goals and it's it's mind valley has become a movement it's freaking huge at this point and if you're an entrepreneur 
it is probably the most important investment you can make in yourself. Yeah, and I can attest to that as well. And the one thing that's changed my life in terms of the movement out of private equity more into entrepreneurship and the stuff that I do now has been a lot of the different things that are taught um, by Vision and the um, and the experts that are on Mind Valley. This idea of you know how you need to work on yourself, mm -hmm. how you have to have personal growth as a value, um, and it is actually. I mean, if you saw me literally ten years ago, Vision, uh, you know, I'm 48 now. I would have looked about 70. Right. Right. So there you go. Wow. Testament to that, maybe. Well, you look great for 48. <laughs> I'm about to turn 47. Excellent. Well, listen, congratulations also on the, um, the valuation with, um, with Mind Valley. And thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate your time. You. See you soon. Take care, Nick. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.